You're listening to The Lid Is On, the flagship podcast from UN News with me, Connor Lennon. And this week's episode is coming to you on World Cities Day, which was launched in 2014 to emphasise some of the world's urban challenges. Today we're going to find out about how the UN is trying to influence the way cities grow and develop. And we'll discover how community gardens are an effective and cost-effective way to build stronger neighbourhoods. Paramount is the sense of community. They're meeting points for people from different walks of life who live in the neighbourhood. So a place like this garden is really, I think, gives people more of a sense of community and stability. It's a place of seclusion and rest and peace. Gardens like this sort of create contemplative space. It's certainly been a valuable part of the experience for me. Now, for many years, the world has seen an inexorable movement from rural areas to urban centres as people search for jobs, access to services and generally improved life prospects. However, many large cities have become hotspots of inequality and exclusion, and this problem has been growing since the 1980s. The UN has been trying to combat this trend, launching global campaigns and initiatives to bring about fairer cities that benefit all their citizens. Now, if you know anything about the UN, you'll probably have come across the Sustainable Development Goals. These are 17 ambitious targets agreed by United Nations member states to bring about a measurable improvement to the world by 2030. The 11th goal is about making cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient and sustainable. And that just happens to be the theme of this year's World Cities Day. Chris Williams is the director of the New York office of UN Habitat. Now, this is the UN agency concerned with sustainable urban development. So this is very much his patch. On the eve of World Cities Day, I visited him at his office in UN headquarters and I asked him what role the UN can play in making cities better places to live. UN Habitat is a, a mandated to try to support member states, cities, non-government organizations, private sector to wrestle with rapid urbanization, which is happening most intensively in sub-Saharan Africa and South and Southeast Asia, but is a global challenge because cities are dynamic and they're constantly changing. So our task is to work with governments and non-state actors to try to improve urban development so that it's a force for economic growth, for dealing with social inequality, and of course wrestling with climate change. Globally, inequality is rising. That normally happens with rapid economic growth. It's rarely distributed evenly. The challenges for making economic growth more equitable uh, are not limited to taxes. They're not limited to redistribution of fiscal or financial infrastructure. It's also very much a part of uh, what we call spatial planning, both at at a national level as well as uh, within a municipality to better use space, land in particular, to avoid geographical segregation. These are things that are not necessarily terribly expensive, but can have enormous implications in terms of harnessing the economic growth that's happening in a country and making it more accessible to all. Chris Williams from UN Habitat talking about spatial planning, using space better. So what does this mean in practice? To find out, I took a short ride from UN headquarters down to the East Village neighbourhood of New York City, to discover a secret weapon in the battle to make the Big Apple fairer and more sustainable, community gardens. I headed to the beautiful Bijou 6BC Community Garden. 6 is for East 6th Street, the location of the garden. B is for Botanical, a place to find native and immigrant plants, a bit like the people who live in the area. And C is for Community, the people who keep the garden alive. 
Even as we head into winter, the garden is still lush with plants and trees. It has paths made of bricks reclaimed from former tenement buildings that took me on a journey of discovery, stumbling upon secluded pagodas, sculptures, a pond full of koi carp, and even a treehouse. I was there to meet Soretta and Nick, a couple of the volunteers who look after the garden, as well as Alexandra and Alex from City Hall. Alex is Alex Munoz, Assistant Director of Community Engagement at Green Thumb, a division of New York's Municipal Parks and Recreation Department responsible for registered community gardens. He gave me a sense of what they bring to the city. These gardens of ours provide a number of really useful and unique benefits. I think paramount is the sense of community, both community ownership and community engagement they provide. They're meeting points for people from different walks of life who live in the neighborhood. We have a total of about 20,000 volunteers who help steward these gardens on a daily basis. Our model is grassroots driven. For me, it all goes back to community building and building a sense of civic engagement and a sense of connecting with not just the neighbors you meet, but with the wider collective that's there. This We try to encourage people to think of themselves as stewards of the gardens. They don't, no one is any particular owner of any a particular green thumb garden, but they're all stewarding it and maintaining it and helping care for it and manage it for the next generation. And I've seen these gardens link different neighbors together in a way that other civic spaces just don't allow for. The sort of more intimate conversations or interactions or just that shared spirit of sweating together on a hot sunny day and breaking ground and gardening together that you just don't get from other interactions. Nick McKinney is one of those volunteers, or stewards, that Alex Munoz mentioned. He told me what the garden means to him. We have been doing a lot of arts and music events, jazz on a Sunday afternoon or classical music. We have a sculpture exhibit in the garden right now. There's a book club. There's a a yoga program that runs through the garden. You know, it's a place of seclusion and rest and and peace. Um, It is a very dense city, and I think that gardens like this sort of create uh, contemplative space. It's a place for people to meet where they can get involved in their community. It's certainly been a valuable part of the experience for me, especially as the neighborhood changes that, you know, I get to know my neighbors. And that's in a city where I think community is becoming maybe harder to build because people are transient. I would say it's community. I mean, I think that's why we call them community gardens. And I also met Soretta Rodak, a long-term resident and also a board member of 6BC. She's been here for over 40 years, long enough to remember when the whole of New York was in a pretty bad place, and how the local community decided to take action to improve their surroundings. A place like this garden, I think, gives people more of a sense of community and stability. There were two tenements that were here before. The bricks in the uh, pathways actually come from one of the tenements. I don't know if they were burnt down or just or pulled down. A lot of landlords at that point, it, the city was in a financial crisis. We're talking about what, mid-80s? And a lot of the landlords were deserting the buildings because they didn't want to pay the taxes on them. They'd let them run down. And so they were either burning them for the insurance money or just abandoning them. So when they were abandoned, the city would usually take over the property and tear down the buildings and what we had then there was a lot of immigration happening at the same time and a lot of poor artists and this was uh, seemed to be like a perfect neighborhood for them to come in so some of them just 
they wanted a sense of home and, and a place to meet because they were they came from all came from the same community, so they wanted a place to meet. So they cleared the rubble and made gardens. So here we have a community-led grassroots initiative, which the city eventually stepped up and supported. Here's Alex Munoz again from Green Thumb. The city eventually came to formalize these gardens and actually protect them. Approximately 370 of our 550 gardens are registered as NYC Parks property. They have the highest protection under um, state law and they are protected as parks. A number of others are registered as land trust gardens and are also similarly protected. We have nine outreach coordinators divided up geographically. They assist the gardens in terms of advice and guidance, and they assist them in linking them with our operations team, which delivers large amounts of compost, of new soil, of lumber. 77% of our gardens actually grow fruits and vegetables, and approximately 500,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables are grown in our gardens on a regular basis. Not too far from here on the Lower East Side, uh, we have Generation X Garden, which has a number of fruit trees. We also have actual small urban farms running, Red Hook Added Value, uh, which is a huge uh, production facility, I think well over an acre, maybe an acre and a half, and numerous other gardens focusing on food production. We also have a youth leadership council to bring young people every summer into the gardens and actually learn gardening, and usually it's focused upon food production gardens. That food production shows how the gardens can play a role in improving the resilience of the city. And that's not the only way. Six years ago, when New York was hit by Hurricane Sandy, a huge swathe of the city suffered a blackout. As Soretta explained, parks like 6BC played an important role in helping New York recover. This garden has had solar panels since 94, mid-90s. They were still working, but we figured that we could do something much more efficient and they were really a help during Sandy because people could come in here and charge their phones. You know they really discovered during Sandy that gardens are also storm barriers in a way because when it rains and it storms you've got a building here that building is not going to absorb water it's going to just flow out and, and flow you know flow into the streets and flood. Places like this absorb water so they keep things from flooding. Alexandra Hineker runs a program at the New York City Mayor's Office called Global Vision Urban Action, which links the city's development goals to the United Nations' vision for global sustainable development. She says that for the authorities, Hurricane Sandy was a wake-up call that influenced their citywide policy for development, One NYC. One NYC is New York City's uh, local sustainable development strategy that was agreed in April of 2015. It was initially uh, a four-year strategy that addresses issues like resiliency and climate change, but actually after Hurricane Sandy, uh, the city saw that some of the most vulnerable communities were the most impacted by these issues. So in the 2015 strategy, uh, the city incorporated the question of equity. Um, so the strategy looks at sustainability, resiliency, growth, and equity. We have huge ambitions, and so when the sustainable development goals were agreed by all of the countries in the world, we sat down and we simply mapped these uh, two strategies to see where there was crossover. And that's when we launched the Global Vision Urban Action Program in December 2015. Some people might say, well, this is fine for New York to do. New York is a, a rich city and a rich country. It, 
Do you think that many of the things you're doing here would be applicable to other big cities around the world that perhaps don't have the same resources that New York does? Absolutely, and I think that that's the benefit of using the Sustainable Development Goals as a framework to talk to other cities and countries. Like, if we were just to go up to some city, start talking about community gardens, it might seem really hard because they have a different context and be comparing apples to oranges. But by using the framework of saying we're trying to achieve green and accessible spaces under Sustainable Development Goal 11 and this is what we're doing and they say oh well this is what we're doing we can start having a discussion and I also want to emphasize that it's mainly an opportunity for New York City to learn from other cities and countries how we can do better. Back at UNHQ Chris Williams from UN Habitat agrees that there is a growing trend of cities around the world learning from each other a welcome phenomenon he says. He also welcomes the collaboration between citizens and city authorities that we saw at the community garden. He says it's essential if we're to see fair, resilient and sustainable cities. In general, cities recognize that those that are responsible for urban planning with their technical expertise and their political obligation to to fulfill the needs of the city are part of the solution, but they really need to open up and let the innovations that are emerging, particularly at community level, but also within the private sector, be part of their planning solution. It's not just the community gardens, it's also the way waste is managed in New York City and many other urban areas is coming about through many, many innovations of not only how the city disposes of its waste, but how less waste comes to the city and looking more systematically at how to minimize the organic waste that ends up in uh, landfills. This is happening as much in sub-Saharan Africa as is in major cities in Europe and North America. So another is transport. If you look at Quito, Ecuador, you look at Nairobi, certainly most of the northern European cities and many cities in the United States, bike lanes, uh, rapid public transport, streets for public use on alternate days, all of these kinds of innovations seem to be happening in municipalities at the same time making cities much more livable, which is both a decision on community initiative because these things wouldn't happen if people didn't take advantage of those spaces and demand for them, and the city would, it wouldn't happen if the city wasn't open to reorganizing space, public space, in a way that was more beneficial to the society as a whole. Chris Williams from UN Habitat, ending today's episode. Now, if you want to find out more about UN Habitat, you can just uh, search for their website, search UN Habitat, or search for World Cities Day. And if, like me, you're in New York and you want to get involved in your local park, just Google Green Thumb New York. I'm Connor Lennon. See you next time for another episode of The Lid Is On from UN News.